Welcome to the Capgemini North America Corporate Social Responsibility Podcast. My name is Lauren Kimball, and I'm the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Leader in the U.S. and Canada. I look forward to engaging with each of you on diversity, digital inclusion, and sustainability initiatives and challenges. Together, let's lead as architects of positive futures so we can all get the future we want. I'm honored to be here today to discuss a really important topic for our podcast, which is racism in the workplace. As you know, it's been a little over a year since the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent Black Lives Matter protests and the national reckoning with systemic racism. Capgemini and other companies have made some bold commitments to address injustice in the workplace. So today I wanna reflect on the last year and dig a little deeper into the progress that's been made and some of the lessons learned from the efforts of the last year. And to do that, I'm joined, I'm joined today by two fantastic guests, uh, Bridget and Veronica. So I will let them introduce themselves. And Bridget, um, why don't you go first? Thank you, Lauren. Hello, everyone. My name is Bridget Scales, and I'm, I use the pronoun she, her. I am the Senior Director for Diversity Best Practices at Sarah Mount. As a subject matter expert, I advise our member companies with insights, solutions, and strategies to support their diversity, equity, and inclusion journey. My background is in corporate America, where I spent nearly 30 years in sales and in HR with a focus on diversity and inclusion. As a DNI leader, I provided thought leadership and consultation to senior executives, business, and functional leaders across the organization. I've also applied best practices, benchmarking, and used a global team format to accelerate efforts of inclusion, cultural competency, leadership behaviors, and policy on equity. So my experiences has given me an opportunity to partner with external organizations such as diversity best practices. Therefore, I've had the unique opportunity of sitting on both sides of the proverbial table. Wonderful. We're so excited to have you. I know Capgemini has worked with you for years now, and I am always in awe after all of our conversations with you and your colleagues and the great advice that you give us. So very excited to have this conversation with you today. Um, Veronica, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Lauren. So I am Veronica St. Cyr. I am a member of our Capgemini event practice and I am aligned to our consumer products and retail sector. I've been with Capgemini for four years. I actually just had my four-year anniversary, and I came to Capgemini after graduating business school from the University of California, the Anderson School of Management. I also um, went to Spelman College for, for undergrad, and I think it's helpful to share just a little bit about my background because I think it shares my perspective or helps to shape my perspective for the conversation going forward. Um, I am based out of our Atlanta, Georgia office and I'm also a native of Atlanta. So uh, sometimes that's a fun fact because I feel like that is not normally the case these days, but I'm happy to chat with you and Bridget about diversity and inclusion, um, my work with the Inclusion Leadership Advisory Council, as well as just my experience um, as a diverse or minority employee within Capgemini. Great. Um, I'm excited to have you here, Veronica. I forget you're another, uh, you're not an LA person, but you've got a little bit of LA in your heart, like me. Um, 
So it's great to have you here. Um, so today, let's start with Bridget. Can you just set the tone for us and kind of describe the current state of diversity, equity, and inclusion work uh, in the U.S. right now, given everything that's happened over the last year? Yes, it, it has been a year. Um, I would describe the current state as highly focused, intentional, and full of opportunities. There's a high level of focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the workplace right now. Companies are committed to fighting racism. And this was evident by the statements, investments, and commitments to increase representation, um, specifically black talent at higher levels in the organization. Companies were also specific about making anti-racism pledges to make more a more um, inclusive workplace, to improve internal processes for diverse representation, equity of pay, of pay, as well as inclusive leadership, and overall developing a culture of belonging. Now, we saw a spike and the number of roles that were added by companies after the death of George Floyd in May of 2020. According to Indeed, jobs in diversity, inclusion, and belonging have risen 123%. Now, these roles wow. included new positions, such as entry-level positions, or even expanded C-suite are senior level leadership responsibilities. So for example, there was an 84% growth in chief diversity officer hires. That's, that's a big number, right? Wow. And then over the years, over the past year, companies spent time listening to their employees to better understand their concerns, experiences, and needs senior leaders engaged in conversations and use these engagements to learn and in the process do some introspection regarding their own identity. Listening without empathy leads to lack of caring, a lack of authenticity, which eventually leads to a lack of trust. I think that was really well said and it honestly it brings up so many things that we're doing in Capgemini as well and I agree with you. I think that you know, there's been a focus for us in staffing up our diversity and inclusion uh, team at Capgemini over the last year, and there's been a focus from our senior leaders. And one of the things that we did was form uh, what we call the Inclusion Leadership Advisory Council. So I'm actually going to let Veronica talk about that because she sits on that council. So Veronica, can you tell us um, a little bit more about our journey at Capgemini over the last year and specifically what is the Inclusion Leadership Advisory Council and how did it get started? Yeah, um, so I really agree and, you know, have experienced a lot of what Bridget mentioned in terms of the national trends that we're seeing as it relates to diversity and inclusion. Um, we, too, have set up a chief diversity officer. We have, you know, of course, Lauren is facilitating this conversation. So having a leadership role that's dedicated to diversity and inclusion outside of just, I think, historically, the focus was, you know, corporate social responsibility as a whole. So I think prioritizing diversity and inclusion as a pillar within that organization is definitely impactful. Um, also, lots of listening, lots of surveys, lots of town halls, lots of discussions in the past year. 
probably more than I've ever experienced in, in a corporate workplace and not just driven from the employee resource groups or diverse groups, but driven from, from leadership. So I think that is, you know, a small step towards taking some accountability and, you know, trying to become aware of opportunities to grow in our organization. Um, and that really brings us to the ILAC. So um, our former um, lead and, and CEO of North America established the Inclusion Leadership Advisory Council, um, which really brought in a lead from each one of our business units. It's actually been so, so beneficial. Um, and it really took me to come to come out and really look for kind of the, the glass half full view of it, right? Because I think as a minority, both a woman of color, um, you know, just everything uh, about my livelihood and my experiences, I never want to be the representative voice for people that think that I represent them or, or don't represent them. So I was really nervous about establishing a council where I was speaking on behalf of someone else. So that was a big, big concern for me. But as the Inclusion Leadership Advisory Council has grown, it's actually been super beneficial to not only have the conversations with leadership, but to be able to react to some of the ideas and, and initiatives and things that come up, right? I, I am now so blessed and thankful that, um, you know, we are not necessarily using people of color to drive the initiative, but almost to consult with, to think about what should we be doing, right? And not necessarily our teams taking action, but how do we enable leadership and the functions that would exist with that organization to do the right things? And not just for people of color, right? But for all dimensions of diversity, because we know that if we enact programming that supports someone who may be less fortunate um, or maybe not as developed in turn, it really helps everyone. So that is really my hope to, to change maybe the, the wider view or opinion of the Inclusion Leadership Advisory Council to let everyone know that if we're making a positive change um, as it relates to culture, then everyone benefits from that. If we're making a positive change as it relates to access for of information, everyone benefits from that. So we're really just hoping to, to level the playing field um, for our minority or for our diverse populations within Capgemini, but also just to make Capgemini better all around. So I'm really excited um, of the work that we've done to focus on the Black employee population, and I'm even more excited for the work that's coming to support all employees at Capgemini. You make a really good point about you know, not being a task force to solve the problems, but being an advisory to provide advice and a sounding board and really to elevate this topic to top leadership. Like you said, it was yeah. for your CEO. And that's the level of attention that this topic needs, in my opinion. That was, I feel like, Capgemini's a big first step in really starting the systemic changes that we need to recruit and retain and advance our Black and African-American talent. And again, to your point, all diverse talent as well, because, you know, the the perspective and the mindset shift that I think is gained through this council is beneficial to everyone, um, not just Black talent. 
So I completely agree. Um, as we're talking about this, and Bridget, I'm curious, are any thoughts coming up for you? And I guess, what are some of the, maybe some of the bright spots you've been seeing from different companies um, out of the last year, other good ideas like this that have come up? Has been the ability to talk openly about race, racism, discrimination, and privilege. The conversations have helped with education, awareness, and in a sense, it gave us all an opportunity to talk about the elephant in the room. We have seen racial injustices demonstrated over and over in our society. We already knew the issues, the lack of opportunities, the lack of progress to senior levels. The incidents from last year provided an open platform to engage and to get people at corporations to stop and pay attention to the issues. There was pressure because there was no more hiding or pretending that inequities or racism didn't exist. When companies stepped out and openly showed their support, it provided a key opportunity to take actions. And a lot of organizations did so. Let me share with you what we were able to find out from our recent Pledge to Progress research, which details corporate America's progress in combat combating racism in the workplace in the year since the murder of George Floyd. So Sarah Mount conducted a national survey of over 2,400 college educated professionals at companies with at least 5,000 5, US employees to gain their perspectives, uh, their perceptions of racism in the workplace and their organization's support for anti-racism -race, efforts. The great news is 83% of employees surveyed are committed to fighting racism within their organizations. And overall, employees perceive their, the pledges and statements of their companies as authentic. And this includes white employees, 88%, seeing, seeing some of the highest level of authenticity, followed by black employees at 85%, Asian employees at 84%, and Hispanic employees at 83%. So year over year, most of the employees surveyed feel more supported at work by their colleagues, with a notable exception for Asian employees. Now, one of the other supporting factors was employee resource groups. They are an important part of supporting employees. And we found that 93% of those in employee resource groups being committed to helping fight racism and injustice within their organization. And these company sanctioned groups are most commonly used to increase education awareness, recruitment, engagement, advancement, and community support. And you know what, there's more good news. 95% of cor corporate executive surveys surveyed are committed to helping their companies fight racism and injustice within the organization. However, their support might not be authentic. 33% feel forced to support these efforts in their company. And those who say they are committed, 79% feel the focus and attention of diversity, equity, and inclusion is blown out of proportion. Now, we also learned that 78% of Black employees indicated that their companies processes in recruitment, retention, performance development, advancement, and compensation are hindered by bias. So now we know the numbers. 
and we can actually address the problem and locate where opportunities remain. It's so interesting, all of the things you're saying, because I know Veronica mentioned that we've been doing surveys at Capgemini as well, and we recently did a global diversity and inclusion survey to all, you know, 270,000 plus employees all across the globe, which is very interesting because diversity takes a different shape in every country. Um, but some of the same things, themes are, are coming out. And I think that's really great to hear that so many people are prioritizing this. They are committed to making a change and that we're seeing that across the board. I think that's something that came out in our survey as well. But what it sounds like is, you know, the commitment and the energy and, and authentically is there, but the process and the, you know, the, the work um, of the machine of businesses isn't caught up necessarily yet. Um, because of course that's that's where the hard work is and that's where you those biases come in and it's hard to change process. Um, and I know that's that's a common challenge for, for lots of companies. Um, I'm also really happy to hear that you said employee resource groups are so valuable because I know personally at Capgemini, we have 11 employee resource groups and we've found you know year over year, we have a higher retention rate, we have higher engagement rates, from our employee resource group members than our regular employees that aren't engaged in employee resource groups. And it's such a good way to, you know, be an ally and also learn about, you know, colleagues that may be different from you or connect with colleagues that are similar to you. And also to drive that change in the organization. Like you said, we're supporting uh, recruiting and policy change. You know, we have so much innovation that comes from our employee resource groups, which I'm really proud of. So that's great. Um, Veronica, listening to all of this, I guess, are there any bright spots that you um, have seen either through the ILAC or just through diversity inclusion work over the last year that you want to share specific to Capgemini? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest bright spot that has enabled all of the focus as it relates to diversity and inclusion was empathy, right? I think that the pandemic and COVID and people being at home and, you know, kind of these shared experiences allowed everyone, I dare say, in the world to, to find some level of empathy and common ground with one another, which I really think was pivotal for the focus on race and equity and inclusion, um, because we were all at home. We all watched what happened, not only to George Floyd, but to the many um, racial injustices that occurred over the past year. And the, you know, the public started to, to realize um, and look at the data and become aware of what was happening in our communities. So I think empathy was, you know, a really big bright spot. Um, as it relates to Capgemini, I think just the willingness to put together the Inclusion Leadership Advisory Council to show um, our CEO and for him to ask, what is our, how many Black people do we actually have here? What is the attrition rate of our organization? And hey, what is the attrition rate for, for Black employees? I think for so long, we have focused on gender equality. I think being in a business services kind of corporate America, that have been the focus for, for years. But now I think as we begin to look at race and even to separate um, Indian from Asian American and how we break down our, our data, I think all of those are really bright spots. 
where I really see the opportunity is as we find more information and opportunities, how can we really hold ourselves accountable by getting dedicated teams to do the work? I would really love to see us create more roles for diversity and inclusion as we're seeing as, as Bridget stated for the market. I think you're hitting on probably a lot of the challenges that are really common among a lot of companies um, as you know as we do the work that we're doing here which is really again embedding this lens into all of the processes that exist embedding this into how we approach promotions embedding this to how we hire and, and interview and all the different um, processes around our talent or what are you kind of seeing as the biggest challenges or opportunities i'd say that um, companies still need to address even a year you know, even though we've been doing so much over the last year, what are the biggest areas to still focus on? Yes, we we actually identified um, several best practices, but I'd like to highlight four specifically. Um, we look at um, multicultural women insights. So, for example, like what are those best practices to attract, retain and advance black women? So we have a research which is focused on multicultural women and the gender gap at the top, and it confirmed profit and loss experience that P&L role. That's critical to moving up the corporate hierarchy into those CEO feeder roles. We also um, identify that 50% of multicultural women aspire to an executive position. However, only 29% have been encouraged to get that profit and loss experience. Secondly, sponsorship. That's another best practice. We need senior leaders who have the influence to sponsor and advocate on behalf of black talented leaders. And it has to be an intentional effort. So, you know, you were talking, Veronica, about those talent practices. We also talk about when you're identifying your company's top 10% of talent, go a little deeper and identify the top 10% of your diverse talent. And then, you know, I talked about women, nearly three quarters of multicultural women say having a mentor or sponsor would be helpful to their career, but they're not always getting that support. And then I also want to talk about leadership accountability because I heard Veronica talk about metrics. That leadership accountability, it must be tied to metrics, holding leaders and managers responsible for their part in achieving diversity, equity, and inclusion goals is key. Um, for example, we, we found through our DBP inclusion index, survey that 65% of those participating companies set a percentage change goals for diverse representation, but only 43% of them tie diversity and inclusion results to compensation. So, you know, when you use compensation or other examples of reward and recognition, that helps to drive behaviors. And, and that's another example of using and treating diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging just like you would another line of business when it comes to delivering results and accountability. And when you do that, it becomes a differentiator for your organization. And then lastly, embed diversity, equity, inclusion to all aspects of your business, right? It, it's all of those business lines, because if it's just that effort of DEI alone, just, you know, Lauren as the leader of DEI alone, it, it's not going to be accomplished. You must have an enterprise-wide approach, and that requires leaders from different parts of the organization to have skin in the game and, and be a part of the solutions in a very proactive way. 
Those are fantastic. And I'm glad you brought up multicultural women because intersectionality is so important. And I, that's something we've really been encouraging over the last year with our employee resource groups as well is to partner together to bring out some of those aspects and, and have more events that are less siloed. Um, because the reality is there's, you know, none of us are just one thing. And and I think it's so important. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Capgemini uh, was actually awarded Best Company for Multicultural Women for 2021 from Saramount this year. So it's something that I'm so, so proud of. And as you're going through some of those best practices, you know, a few of them are sticking out to me, which I think, to your point, um, here's a case study of where it's working, you know, one of our programs we launched recently was our Black Leadership Development Program. And a key aspect of that program is that everyone who goes through it gets at least two executive sponsors who are mentors to them and then are sponsors for them in their career growth at Capgemini. And I think that's probably the perfect example of what you're saying is so critical for people to help close that gap between people who have the aspirations but aren't getting the encouragement much less the the support um, in their career journey. So I think that's something that I know we want to continue to expand upon because it's we're seeing success from it. And, and like you said, it sounds like a lot of the companies you work with um, are seeing that as a, a success as well. It's been a fantastic conversation. I really, really appreciate both of your insights and time. Um, before we go, Bridget, where can people find more about these great uh, recommendations and where can we find um, your recent report? Yes, absolutely. Um, Sarah Mount, which is uh, formerly known as Working Mother Media, um, we have a website. It's saramount.com, and that's where you can go to learn more about our capabilities, how we work with our clients on their diversity, equity, and inclusion objectives, our membership solution, um, consulting events, and, and much, much more. And once you go to the site, there will be a place where you can click and download our Pledge to Progress report. Wonderful. We'll include that in the notes of our podcast as well so that everyone can easily access it. And I highly recommend it. It is a fantastic report and it, I mean, a great insight to all the work that's been done over the last year and recommendations, like you said, about how companies can continue this journey. Because if we've learned anything over the last year, I think it's that this is a journey and change takes a long time. And it's something that we have to keep as a priority and keep working on if we want to see that really beneficial change for um, our colleagues. So thank you so much, Veronica and Bridget, for joining me today. And hopefully we can talk again soon. Yeah, Thanks for so sure. Much. Thank you. Thanks. Well, we've come to the end of another Capgemini North America Corporate Social Responsibility Podcast. Again, I'm Lauren Sana Kimball. And on behalf of the entire North America Corporate Social Responsibility team, I'd like to thank you for listening. If there's a specific topic on digital inclusion, environmental sustainability, or diversity that you'd like us to cover, please comment in the podcast channel. We love to hear from you.